the year. A worldwide pandemic. An economic downturn. Socialism and anarchy have become popular, at least to some. And riots across major American cities from Boston to Seattle. What a year. Yes, each and every one of those statements I just made do describe this year as well. But actually, I was describing 1920, 100 years ago. Is that not amazing? No, it wasn't a coronavirus. It was the Spanish flu that was killing Americans. And the economy was suffering because we were coming out of World War I and not because of economic policy and such, cycles. And communism was very popular. And yes, there were riots all across major U.S. series, 1920. As Solomon said, that which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. I think we need to be reminded of that this morning. What we are witnessing today is not new. The effects of the fall have always been with us. Man's basic sinfulness has always been present. That being said, we have to understand, and here is, here is the blessing in, in looking at things like this, God is never surprised. God is never surprised and God is never caught off guard. Now, it may seem that way. Satan would have us think so. But the reality is, there is nothing new under the sun. God's not surprised. He's not caught off guard. He's still in charge. He is still the sovereign Lord. Nothing has changed of this fact we really need to be reminded. The world is not out of control in the sense that God doesn't know what to do with it. Everything is right on schedule, prophetically. We're moving toward a glorious end. Now, we've been looking at a series of Psalms. Each one, a different type of psalm. Last week, we looked at a psalm of thanksgiving. Two weeks ago, I think it was, we looked at an imprecatory psalm. This morning, Psalm 96 is what's known as an enthronement psalm. An enthronement psalm. Now, the purpose of enthronement psalms are to declare the sovereignty 
of God over all his creation. And when I say sovereignty, I mean he's the king. He's in charge. He is in control. He is over all. And so as we look at Psalm 96, we're reminded of this great fact. The Lord Almighty reigns. He's not somehow removed from what's happening in this world. He is always overseeing, controlling what's going on. Now, you may have some questions about that, and hopefully we'll address them before we finish this morning. But let's take a look at our psalm. The Lord reigns over all the earth. That's that's the message. That's the summary. That That's the one phrase that we could pull out of this that would give you the whole of Psalm 96. And the question we want to address then is this. How do we respond to this reality? First of all, you've got to, you've got to understand he is in charge. He does reign. So what does that mean for us in a practical way on a daily basis? Well, there's three answers to that question found right here in Psalm 96. And the first answer is this. We should sing His praise. We should sing His praise. Look at Psalm 96, verse 1. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, his wonders among all people. Three times in those three verses, David says, sing, sing, sing. And they're all commands. These are imperative verbs in the Hebrew language. God wants us to sing His praises. The Scripture demands that we sing His praises. This is a response to the fact that we know He is God. He is the Almighty. He is the Creator. He is the Sovereign Lord. Sing, He says, to the Lord a new song. That reminds me of the book of Revelation. Where there the believers sing a new song under the Lord. Now, here, it could be that the Hebrew language is simply saying, sing, sing a new, uh, sing a new to the Lord, whatever the song is. But it could be saying also, sing a brand new song. But we are to sing songs to God. Oh, sing to the Lord. Don't overlook that fact. We sometimes get confused in our minds and we think we are singing because, well, I just, I enjoy singing. There's a lot of benefits to singing. There's a lot of joy in singing. And God means for us to enjoy it. And God wants us to benefit from it. 
But we are not singing just for our benefit. We are singing to the Lord. It's worship. We are ascribing unto Him all that He is. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord. By the way, you see the word Lord three times there. Sing to the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. That always indicates that's the Hebrew name Yahweh. Sometimes called Jehovah from the German pronunciation. He is the ever-present one. The one that ever was. And the one that will ever be. He's the only completely eternal going back in time. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. It's not good enough for just part of the earth to sing to the Lord. All the earth needs to sing to the Lord. Now, all the earth doesn't do that. Not in this dispensation, not in this time, but it will happen. And there is a a prophetic element to what David writes here. There will come a day when the whole earth will sing to the Lord. Now, it's going to take the Lord coming back to remove his church. It's going to take... Seven years of tribulation. It's going to take the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to take the battle of Armageddon. It's not much of a battle, but the, the victory of the Lord. And then the establishment of his kingdom. And then, and only then, will all the earth sing to the Lord. Finally, sing to the Lord. He says, bless his name. That means to speak well of his character. Speak well of his name and who he is. His salvation should be proclaimed. Proclaim the good news of His salvation from day to day, it says. Now, that sounds rather mundane in the English, but in the Hebrew, He's simply saying, sing it today and sing it tomorrow and sing it the next day and day after day after day. Proclaim the good news of His salvation every day. Declare his glory, says David, among the nations. Now, there's our obligation as Christians, as believers, no matter what age it is. We are to declare his glory among the nations. His wonders, he says, among all people. The word wonders here means his miracles. His miracles. Last night, he's walking one of our dogs, and I looked up and saw the most beautiful sunset. Any of you notice that last night? It had an orangish, it was kind of orange-pink, intermingled inter- with the blue, kind of a, a, a lighter blue, and, and the, the brightness of it in the western sky. It was just magnificent. And the thought came to me, Rembrandt couldn't do that. Leonardo da Vinci couldn't paint that. Nobody could. He is the great God, the greatest artist, the greatest mathematician, the greatest astronomer, the greatest engineer, the greatest physician, the greatest counselor, the greatest teacher, the greatest communicator, the only sovereign God and King. And all you got to do is just look up to see it. But the world can't see it because their minds are blinded. He is a God of wonders. Sing to the Lord. 
a new song. Sing to God all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless his name. Now, we just resumed choir practice last week. Now, we're, the choir is sitting where you're sitting, and, and Todd's up here, as I understand it, so they can spread out and all that. Be cautious. But the choir's singing again. Now, after I tell you this, the choir numbers are going to double tonight. Okay? So, you, and I'm counting on you all. You had 12 last week or so. I, I think you at least have 25 tonight when you hear what I have to say. This comes from current research. And I'll find it here in a minute because I want to give it to you exactly. This comes from a website entitled Rise Up and Sing, but I'm also going to be quoting from prevention.com in reference to some of the research. Here's five benefits of singing together. This is not from a Christian perspective. This is from researchers. People that don't have anything better to do than to research things they don't care about. But we care about it. And we should have understood all of this to begin with. But researchers now say that singing together as a group enhances our immune system. You worried about the coronavirus? Maybe you ought to join the choir. It improves your lung function. It even helps people that have asthma and COPD. That's what recent research is saying. Then there, they say also number three, there's a psychological benefit. It leads to the reduction of stress and lifts people's spirits. Well, duh, we knew that, didn't we? I mean, I know what the Word of God tells us. They say that, number four, there's neurological benefits. Saying that when a, a group of people sing together, they bond together and, and feel a part of something that is beneficial to their well-being. Wow. I don't even, I don't think I even got the fifth one. It got lost there in my notes, but that's enough. Double right. <laughs> now, we have a really important aspect to our choir. You do not have to audition. You just have the, have the audacity to get up there and let it go. That's all. So, uh, for those benefits, you can throw out whether you can sing or not. Well, sing His praise. That's what the Bible tells us to do. Oh yeah, there's lots of benefits. Even, even the modern day uh, social researchers are discovering them. But the Bible is so very clear about the necessity of it all saying to the Lord. That's a response to who He is and all that He does and all that He has done. But let's look at a second answer to that question. If the Lord reigns over all the earth, then what what does that mean to us? What should we be doing? Well, number one, sing His praise. Number two, give Him glory. Give Him glory. Now look at verse 7. 
I know I'm skipping verses 4 to 6. We'll come back to it in just a moment. Verse 7, give to the Lord, O families of peoples. Give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory do His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before Him all the earth. So the first thing we need to be doing is singing His praises, but David also emphasizes giving. Giving in a broad general sense. As we would say, glorify God. And whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, Paul says, in all things, in everything, glorify God. Now the word glory is a word which references appearance, outward appearance. And of course, in God's case, His shining Shekinah glory. Which was manifested many times in the Old Testament and will be evident every day in the New Jerusalem. So, if, if I am to glorify God, the only way I can do that is to present a good picture to other people as to what God is like. Because His glory is there because of His character and His person. So everything that you and I do is a reflection on our God. If we do as we should, we glorify God. People can see God in us and through us. If we do not do as we should, we, well, we don't glorify God. So give to the Lord, O families of the earth, give to the Lord glory and strength. Show to the nations His glory, His character, His person, but also His strength. Now where do they see His strength in you? They see His strength in our faith. They see His strength in our faithfulness. They see His strength in our person, in our character. And then He says, give to the Lord the glory that is due His name. He's, he's due way more than we can muster up. But in every way, as much as we can, give Him the glory that is due His name. And then He says, bring an offering and come into His courts. Now the word courts is talking about the courts in the tabernacle in the Old Testament. It was the court of the priests, and it was the court of the men, and the court of the women, and the court of the Gentiles outside that, and the old temple, and so on. Now, the reason that a Jewish worshiper in the Old Testament would come into the court of the tabernacle or the temple was to bring an offering. Now, there were certain offerings they brought that were animals, and there were other offerings they brought that were not animals, such as a grain offering, a drink offering, and and a thank offering, and so forth. The word used here in verse 8, for the word translated offering, is the Hebrew word which means a non-blood offering, which was always a free will thankfulness offering. It was something that, that God's people brought because they just wanted to. And they weren't told to do it. They weren't commanded to do it like many of the other offerings 
But there was just a provision in the Old Testament worship. If you just wanted to give something to God out of thanksgiving, you could bring it. Let me tell you something. That's what we do every Sunday when we submit an offering. Because the blood offering has already been offered. Jesus did that on the cross a couple thousand years ago. And we give ourselves because we are to be a living sacrifice in thanks for what He's done for us. And then we give free will Thanksgiving offerings. By the way, back in March, me and the deacons had some really disgusting conversations. I say it that way because now looking back on it, I think we were a little fearful when we needn't have been. But I had the thought and they had the thought and we discussed, well, will the giving hold up? If people are not in church, we, you know, we were completely online for a while, about six weeks or so, I think. Let me tell you something. We've had the best summer of giving that I can remember. If you look at the money, ah, you look at me, bull, and we're $15, $16 a week below our average. That's above where we ever are at this point. Because it's the last quarter that always puts us above the average. God's people have been faithful. We have met our budget the last two years, and I am absolutely confident we're going to, last year we went way above our budget, and this year we're going to do it again. You're to be commended. I'm not preaching this because we need money. I'm saying, God bless you because you appreciate what God has done for you. That is the real key. That is the real reason we give. We don't give so we can get. We give because we've already received. You see that? Don't you love these preachers on TV? Well, if you, if you just give me so much, you'll get twice as much back. I don't want that little piddly mound. I've done got eternal life. Why do I want double what I can give or triple? I've got it all already. The reason we give is because we want to glorify God. Bring an offering and come into its courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Now, that's not talking about our holiness. We don't have any. No, we have holiness in the sense that we have Jesus. He's our holiness. We have positional holiness in Christ. We should live holy lives as a result of that, but we're all going to fall short of holiness, perfection. We, we can't ever achieve that. But he is genuinely, perfectly holy. He is above us and beyond us, and we deserve to bow down to him in worship because he has bestowed grace upon us who are unholy. That's why Jesus died for us. Tremble before him, he says, all the earth. Any really hardcore, long-time Baptist might want to leave right now. Because when you understand the message here, we might have to adjust some of our thinking. 
The word tremble means to shake. And some people think David is talking about just shaking in awe. If you go back to 1 Chronicles chapter 16, you'll find that this psalm is quoted there in 1 Chronicles 16 and was sung when they brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem for the first time. And you remember what David was doing? He was dressed in a linen ephod and he was out in the street just dancing up and down and swirling around and praising God with his whole body. So I think David's talking about that here. He's talking about a holy dance. Now, I don't even like the word dance. That's It's not dance like we think dance. But it's a physical expression of joy in worship. I sometimes feel sorry for you folks because you're so proper and you have to sit there and listen to everything I say and be respectful. And I can just go over here and over there and I can be, I can be shouting, I can be, you know, getting excited up here and I'm just... Please don't leave, although I said that was a possibility. What am I doing when I'm doing that? I am... Dancing. <laughs> you understand? It's just a physical, it's like when two people get, get, into a, get into a conversation and their hands are going like this. Like, some people do. I don't know who, I don't know who would do that, but <laughs> you know, you, you talk with your hands, I do. When, when you put your whole of your physical expression into your joy, that's what he's talking about. David, yeah, they were playing music when they brought the ark in, but they were, they, they weren't dancing to show off. They weren't, they weren't dancing in some immoral way. They, David was just literally like someone who wins a game show and they're just jumping up and down. They're so excited. That's kind of the thing that was going on in David's heart and soul. Our worship should be that intense. That being said, I'm kind of glad you all reserve it a little bit because yeah, I, I don't know if we could stand uh, uh, 150 Davids in here at one time. And there, there is something to be said about order and worship. I understand that. So maybe, maybe the dancing is more on the inside, but it's physical expression. It, it captivates your whole body. So... Why, why, why do we sing, sing, sing? Why do we give, give, give? Well, that's what's in between these two passages here, or parts of Psalm 96. Notice verse 4, he says, four. And verse 5 begins with four. And both of those are, <coughs> are Hebrew conjunctions that talk about purpose, cause. Why do we sing unto the Lord? Why do we give unto the Lord? For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. For He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the peoples are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Yes. He deserves our praise. He deserves our giving. But there's a third thing we need to do. 
because the Lord reigns over all the earth. Not only sing his praise and give him glory, but we also, we also should express our joy. And, and we just, we've just talked about that, but I want to go a little further with that thought. Beginning at verse 10. Verse 10 says, say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Now I want to stop right there and we'll talk about this. Verse 10 does not say the Lord will reign. You see that? Does not say that. There is no way to construe this as a future tense. This is a Hebrew verb which indicates the action of the verb has already taken place, is complete and finished. Verse 10 does not say the Lord will reign. Verse 10 says the Lord does reign. That means right now he reigns. Well, how do you account for all the evil in the world? And how do you account for all the, the bad things that happen? And you, you hear all people talk about these things. And, and we wonder perhaps at times. It all goes back to Genesis chapter 3. When Adam saw that Eve had eaten of the fruit of the forbidden tree, and he chose willfully and knowingly to partake. And he plunged the human race into sin, and we've all been born sinners because we have all been born of Adam. We all have the same daddy, every last one of us. I don't care what color you are or what nation you live in. We all go back to Adam, and we're all sinners. God did not cause evil. God did not cause pain. God did not cause death. Adam brought those things upon the human race. If he had not disobeyed, we would not be wrestling with those things. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that to think we would have done any better, okay? I don't think we would have at all. But what I'm saying is, God created Adam and he put him in the midst of a perfect garden in a perfect environment. And what did he say? He said he wanted Adam to take care of it and dress it and, and to care for it. And he gave Adam what? Dominion. Chapter 1 of Genesis verse 28. He gave him dominion over God's created earth. What is that? That's authority. God reigned when he created Adam, and he said, here, Adam, I'm going to delegate it to you. That's how much he thought of his creation. When he looked at his creation, he said, it's good. And Adam turned around and gave it to Satan. By disobeying God and doing what Satan prompted him to do. And when God delegated it to Adam, and Adam turned it over to Satan. Now we have what the Scripture calls a God, little g, God of this world. Now, that doesn't mean that Satan reigns. It means he has some measure of delegated authority to operate. Now that's going to be removed when the Lord comes back. 
He's going to be put in a pit for a while, and eventually he's going to be judged and thrown into the lake of fire, and that'll be that for Satan. But Satan is operative in this world, and he's, he's, he is tempting people to sin, and he's controlling those who don't know Christ, and he is orchestrating a worldwide system that is absolutely diametrically opposed to everything God stands for and everything you and I believe. And we look around the world and we say, yeah, we ought to gasp. But here's the thing. The Lord reigns. He'll take it back. He'll take it all back. And in the meantime, he limits what little Satan can do. How do I know that? Well, remember Job chapter 1? Job never came to God and said, you know, I think I can, uh, I think I can take your servant Job and really mess him up. No, that's not what happened. God came to Satan and said, have you considered my servant Job? And then in Job, uh, I think you may have this one on screen there, guys. Job 1.12, eventually the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in, 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 is in your power. He, God said to Satan, all that, all that Job has is in your power to take it away. Except just don't lay a hand on his person. Don't kill him. And Satan lost his livelihood. He lost his resources, he lost his money, he lost his possessions, he lost his children, and he lost his wife too, who said, why don't you just curse God and die? At least in her grief and pain for a while, she was lost to him. And then Satan took his health. And he was all but dead. He probably had what in that day would have been a terminal illness. Job maintained his integrity. And oh, what a blessing and an instructive book in the Bible that's been for God's people since because God wanted to teach us something through Job. And God is teaching you through what's happening to you and He's teaching you through what's happening to somebody sitting beside you and somebody else that you know. God has a different purpose than to to live a wonderful life. God wants us to glorify God. And this is the only opportunity this side of eternity that we'll ever have to glorify God in less than perfect circumstances. And it's when everything looks bad and everything is going wrong and when you're suffering that you still glorify God, that's when people notice. That's when God's glorified. But God said, don't take his life. Don't take his life. What's that next verse you got there, guys? 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. See, God's got a hedge around you like he had a hedge around Job. And God's sovereignty means that you're never going to be tempted beyond that which you are able to resist. Now, it doesn't mean that you're going to end up being perfect. You're going to fail some there. 
But God's going to make sure that you're never overwhelmed. You may think you're overwhelmed. You may believe you're overwhelmed. You're never overwhelmed. He's put that limitation. So he is a sovereign God even now. And all the good things that have happened to you. You think of the best things that have ever happened to you in your life. And look, those things would have never happened if God did not bring them about. That's what God's sovereignty is. Every good thing, every blessing that you've ever experienced, God did it. I wouldn't want to live in a world where there was no sovereign God. Those things wouldn't happen. And His grace, His limitation of of, of temptation, all that wouldn't be there either. Now, that I've done all of that, preached verse 10 for a long time. Now we can fly. Verse 11, the world also is firmly established. Yep. It shall not be moved. (laughs) It feels like the world's shifting under our feet, doesn't it? But it won't be moved. Yeah, some say, you know, we're all going to burn up like California because of global warming. It's not going to be moved. I say we're going to have earthquakes, and we're going to have we're going to be hit by an asteroid. It's not going to be moved. Not going to be moved until God moves it, and God will move it at the end of the millennium when He decides to create a new heaven and a new earth. And He shall judge the peoples righteously. All of that is reason for joy, and so He says this. Stick with me, verse eleven. Let the heavens rejoice. And let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in all of its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in it. Let the trees of the woods, uh, then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord. Now, why is he ascribing to nature human characteristics here? He's trying to make a point. And you know what his point is? His point is, I do not want your joy to be hindered. I don't know, I don't want your joy to be restricted. We are not a field. We are not a tree. They can't speak. They can't glorify God in a voice we can. If God wants, they can speak, but that's not what He's ordained. He's saying, look, I have built a world that the trees may not speak with a voice, but they still speak of the glory of God. We think of the marvel of a tree. The shade it gives and the seasons change. The leaves fall and the trees just go on living. They bloom the next spring. Think of the grass of the field. It comes, it goes, but it never fades away. And it gives us beauty and it speaks of the creative glory of God. Let all of our creation bring about joy. Especially God's people. And why? Why? Verse 13. 
for he is coming, for he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. Now there's the future. By, by, by the way, that begins with four again. Before the Lord, for he is coming. Here's the reason for all the joy. He's coming to make everything right. He's coming to, to render righteous judgment in every case. Oh boy, that's going to be a great day. That's going to be what we need. I was talking to a friend of mine last night. Fellow pastor in West Virginia. His name's Michael Richardson. In the course of our short conversation, we always have very short conversations, but he always has something important to say. Last night, in the course of our very short conversation, he just called to tell me a prayer request that he had had been answered. For a moment, we talked about the situation in the world. He said, I used to wonder why Christ would need to rule with a rod of iron during the millennium. And he says, not anymore. <laughs> I said, brother, can I quote that? I used to wonder why, why Christ is going to need to rule with a rod of iron in the millennium. But not anymore. No, yeah. That's what the world's telling us. The world shot through and through with evil and sin. WRAL had this thing on his website about this man up in Massachusetts to put uh, vote for Trump signs in his yard. And uh, he had six of them in a row stolen. Now, I understand people have political differences, but that doesn't mean you become a thief. But see, the, that's what's wrong with the world. The world has thrown out what's right. The world has thrown out what's ethical. And now it only matters what you want. There are those that do not want President Trump to nominate anybody from the Supreme Court. What are they, what are they doing? They're, they're all over the media shouting, we want to burn Congress down. We'll burn the nation down. I understand you can have a political difference. But that doesn't excuse violence. But if you throw out God, and you throw out what's right and what's wrong, this is where we're at in the world today. But we can rejoice even now because there's coming a day when that kind of stuff is going to be taken care of. We're going to have a righteous judge. A righteous judge. As we sing, as we give, and as we rejoice, we will be lifted up spiritually. We will be blessed. And stress, strain, concern, fear will fade away. Because all those things, singing, giving, rejoicing, are all based on the sovereignty of God. The Lord reigns.